I need a new suit. I just am used to wearing black, and I think that's what I'd like to stick with. But we're on our way right now to speak with the man after whom this town was named, Elmer Fillmore himself. He's all holed up in that mansion of his. Big as it is, apparently it wasn't enough to save his children. We just spoke with Mrs. Fillmore at the jail, but she doesn't remember what she did. I think Falk is upset with me. Maybe he's just in one of his moods again, I don't know. Anyway, we'll see what Mr. Fillmore has to say. to start with Boris, Igmet, and Tom all heading towards Fillmore's house. The good news is it's been and long enough since we last recorded that I don't remember a single thing I was going to ask Fillmore. <laughs> 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 oh. I had a big plan. Ask him about his glue. <laughs> <laughs> so Boris has been a little bit, uh, he's been a little bit concerned looking like he's been he's always been a little bit quiet since you met him but it seems as though uh as though now um that he's starting to see what this world is like he's he's seeming more despondent than normal and mm -hmm. uh he kind of taps you on the shoulder uh tom and he says i don't think i i could be much help with this case that you are working on well, boys, we can always use an extra hand, even if it's just to fight for us. We don't mind you have, having you around. What else are you going to do, drink at the bar? No, that's, that's, that's not what I want to do either. I just, it's, it, I, I swing me glaive, and that's what I'm good at. Standing guard, the like. Not used to this investigative nature. Well, consider this here a, a promotion, you see? Onward and upward. He kind of grins at you for a second, and he says, Well, I'll, I'll have to practice more with, with this layman's wand. And he kind of points at the shotgun that he's got strapped <laughs> on his back. <laughs> You're your own man, Boris. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to follow us around. He kind of looks confused at uh, that statement, and he says, Well, what, what do you mean? I know this place isn't as luxurious as from where you came, but what do you want to do? I, I think I'd like to get home and maybe see me king again. But if that ain't, if that ain't a possibility, I guess I, guess I just want to figure out what's what's hurting the people here in Fillmore's Crossing. Well, <laughs> off we go then. 
All right. And I'm going to um I'm going to go back to uh to Falk as you guys get to the gates of the Fillmore Mansion. Um but as you guys kind of get to these gates, it's the only it's the only building that has a stone wall around the entire perimeter of it and it's a huge huge mansion. Um Entirely built out of out of halved logs, so it's a. It looks like like a lo- a log cabin would um, nowadays, but obviously back then this would have been a very expensive way to go about building a cabin or a house. Um, it's three stories tall, and there's actually a bunch of decorative stone out front that create walkways and little areas of um, different red and blue and white colored stone that is kind of uh that is kind of set in patterns um in some spots it looks as though uh the guards that you can see walking around the perimeter of it have disturbed some of the stones so they've started to mix together and not be quite as uh as crisp of a pattern as maybe it once was but Mm. you can tell that this cost a lot of money and there is not a single blade of grass or weed anywhere on the property and you can just see that there's a pattern of these uh wide-brimmed black-hatted black trench-coated guards that are carrying these scatter guns um in the crook of their arms just kind of staring at off at the uh at the gates and at the walls and just trying to keep a keep stock of what's going on in the area if you guys want to do anything before you can go in, you can feel free. But otherwise, I'm going to go over to Falk. Well, Boris, maybe you can get hired on by Elmer. <laughs> he kind of looks back and forth and nods his head as though, like, maybe that's not a bad idea. Um, and then he says, I mean, i like to see what type of Amani he is first. But maybe. And uh, with that, you guys push open the gate. And I'm going to go back to Falk. So Falk, you are standing there with Trek. Trek has just dropped his rifle onto the ground, and he's currently trying to uh, trying to jostle his father um, awake. And he's, you know, uh, he's like, Paul, 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 can you hear me? I uh, walk up and kind of grab him by the the coat or the jacket or whatever outerwear he's wearing and try to pull him off a little bit and um i say uh don't be too quick to to touch him so far uh people that have come into close contact with other people that have gone crazy tend to have gone crazy themselves so you know maybe let's back off a little bit he uh looks back at you and he kind of brushes his brown hair out of his face and you can tell that uh, that his eyes are welling up a little bit, but he sniffs it away and he says, All right, what, what do you think we should do? Um, go grab the mules and some rope from the stables and, uh, and maybe something that we can, um, you know, put under him and maybe we can drag him over to the, uh, to the deputy's, um, you know, jail and put him in there with uh, Ingrid. He looks at you and he goes, Now now you just wait one second there, sir. Uh, 
I, I, I already told you there was no way that my pa, he didn't kill Jethro. There's no, my ma has been worried sick, sir. And I think we should bring him into our house. Uh, that may be, but uh, as far as anybody knows, I mean, he's the, the leading suspect and there have been people dead. And plus we're in a quarantine situation. So uh, I'm sorry, I gotta, gotta supersede you on that. Um, you and your ma can definitely come down and, and uh, administer any sort of aid to him in the, in the cell there. And uh, we don't even need to put him in the same cell as Ingrid, you know, to protect him as well. But uh, I think he's got to be in there. Why don't you make me a persuasion check and you can have advantage? You can see he's kind of eyeing the rifle that's on the ground. All right. So, uh, yeah, 18 plus seven. <laughs> So, oh, yeah, well he, uh, <laughs> he, his eyes go back and forth uh, from you to the rifle a couple of times, and you can tell that that his youthful invincibility feelings are are definitely battling against his his better judgment. But after a second, he kind of throws his arms up in disgust and says, "All right." And heads, and he heads towards the towards the stable to grab mules for you. So you are you are now alone on top, of, or well, not on top, but standing over um, Kellen Winslow. What would you like to do? Um, I'll take my uh, water canteen out and um, sort of pour just a little bit, like over his lips, to see if he'll uh, come to. He doesn't seem to. Uh, he doesn't seem to give you much of a reaction other than his mouth will open for a second and kind of gag on the water a little bit. Um, and you can see that that the moisture causes some of the cracks and uh, whatnot of his lips to kind of to kind of re-moisturize a little bit, but the majority of it uh, gets spit up all over his his little bit of growth of beard as he as he gurgles out the water. Um, I take out a cloth or like a handkerchief or something and like pour the water onto it and then just sort of, you know, place that onto his, uh, his face to, you know, kind of allow the moisture to soak in a little bit more and, um, you know, keep the sun off of him. You can definitely see that the color is starting to, to return to his face a little bit. He's looking a little bit less flushed and uh, is starting to pale out a little bit, but you can also definitely tell that there is there is a harsh sunburn um, upon this man's nose and cheeks and just, like, the different areas that would have been exposed to the sun without wearing a hat. Um, All right. Are there any um, rips and tears in his clothing? Like, there are signs of, like, sort of a struggle or, like, you know, animal sort of... Well, he's definitely, he's got a lot of blood on him. There is a lot of dried blood um, all over a lot of his clothes. But it doesn't look as though he specifically was um, was in any sort of a fight. Like, there isn't any bruising around his face or anything like that. There aren't any really, there aren't any tears in his clothes that don't look like they would have been caused by maybe like burrs or brambles or different branches or something like that. Like, none of it looks like a, like the tear from a sharpened blade or, or a gunshot wound or anything like that. All right. How about his uh, hands and his uh, fingertips, like knuckles and fingertips? They, they're dirty. 
Um, and his fingertips are a little bit purplish, but you you think that that's more from the circulation starting to pull away from his extremities and less from from any sort of like fighting or anything like that. Because again, you don't really see any dried blood or anything like that under his nails, just all around on his clothing. All right. Uh, does, does he have a gun on him? He does. He's got a he's got a sidearm um, in in a holster on his right hip. Looks like a six shooter. With that handkerchief, I, I remove it from the holster and uh, sort of set it on the ground, like away from okay. him to where his uh, son can pick it up if he needs to. Gotcha. So you spend a you spend probably like fifteen minutes or so examining. Uh, Examining Kellen and uh, Track comes back with with a couple of donkeys uh, hitched up to a cart, and he says, I'll, "I'll grab his feet if you if you grab his if you grab his arms." All right, let's do this. Do I need to roll a strength check? Uh, strength check? Nah, um, actually, when you when you heft Kellen's body into the air, you can tell that. That track spends spends a lot of time doing manual labor because he seems to be doing the majority of the work, um, <laughs> and so <laughs> you're good. you're fine. Um, and you guys get him loaded up into the back of the cart and start heading towards the deputy's office, which is not that far up. It's up the road and to the left a little ways. All right, I go. Uh, all right, Donnie, take it easy, and I uh, you know just kind of walk Donnie and the other mule over to the. Uh, over to the jailhouse. All right. When you uh, when you arrive at the jailhouse, there's a few people that are that are sitting out um, on some chairs in front of the Crossing House Inn and Tavern, and they give you guys some funny looks, but they don't they don't appear to be paying appear to be ta- paying you too much mind. Um, maybe just drunken looky loos. You're not really sure, but out in front of the jail, you see Deputy Peter Portnoy who, um, if, if you remember, has red hair uh, sticking out from under a white, wide-brimmed hat and a red mustache. And uh, he's smoking a cigar, sitting on a chair, and he's polishing, uh, he's polishing a six-gun that looks like it's got a bunch of runes etched into it. And he says, back already? Uh, yeah, I think I um, found someone of interest. Uh, you mentioned... Uh, Carl Winslow was uh, got into some trouble with uh, what was it, Bertie Nelson? Carl Mickelson. Sorry, Bertie Nicholson. You mean no? He kind of walks over to um, to the back of the cart and he looks in there and he goes, "Holy shit! You found Kellen." I think he found us. Uh, he was wandering up from the south there. And uh, me and, and his boy Track just happened to see him looking out the window there. And he just collapsed a couple hundred yards from the stables. Well, I think the widow Godfrey is going to be happy to know there can be a trial after all. Well, let's uh, get him in one of themselves. Um, I would like him to be separate from from uh, Ingrid Fillmore, if if at all possible. He uh, he looks at you and tips his hat in your direction and he puts his pistol back into his holster and uh, 
he looks over at Trek and says, give me a hand here, will you? And uh, they each grab um, they each grab a side of him, like an arm, and throw his arm over their shoulder and kind of walk him into, into the jailhouse, which, if you recall, there are four cells across the back wall of it. Ingrid is occupying one of them, and he heads to a cell that, is, that has an entire empty cell in between them. And he opens it up, and they go in and lay uh, Kellen down on the cot. All right. Well, he's definitely going to need some water right away and um, maybe get a meal cooked up for him at the crossing house and, and bring it back to him when, for when he wakes up. Um, other than that, I, I got to catch back up with the guys. Uh, they're they're going to be talking to Elma, and uh, I want to be there. All right. He uh, looks over at track and he says... I want you to head to the crossing house and uh, tell them that you want something cooked up and then go and get your mama and let her know she can come down here and see your pa. And Track nods and runs out his long legs, carrying him swiftly. And uh, Deputy, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, could you send somebody up to us um, once he wakes so uh, we can get back down here? I'll do that. No trouble at all. Thank you. And I, I go to tip my hat and re- remember that I never bought one and um, just sort of make an awkward <laughs> hand gesture. <laughs> and then just uh, turn around and, and start to leave the jailhouse. All right. So when you when you arrive at the gates of the Fillmore Mansion, again, huge log cabin, three stories tall, Decorative stone out front. Um, guards in black hats and black trench coats are pacing around the the perimeter of the building. Scatter guns in the crooks of their arms, and uh, the the gate is still wide open. No, it appears nobody has shut it. Um, but you see no sign of your friends. You assume that they must be inside. All right. Um. Can I just take a quick uh, investigation look at the at the gate and just I, I want to see if there's any sort of um, just oddities about it. Like maybe whenever, you know, after Ingrid had like slain the kids, like, you know, might have left a handprint on there or what have you. I just want to inspect the gate. Yeah, go ahead. Roll it. Well, <laughs> Uh, five plus five, uh, ten investigation. So you take a few minutes to inspect this wrought iron gate, and by the looks of the uh, by the looks of the way that it's constructed and bent and and uh, put together, you think that this must have come from the Imperium because the machining techniques that are used in it don't seem like it would be. Um, like, it would be possible to make them out here, but then again, you're not super familiar with how things work out here. But other than knowing that it's a very fine and expensive uh, construction, that's about all you gather from that. <laughs> so I don't have a proficiency in gates? <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, then I, I, I go into the mansion and try to meet back up with uh, with the boys there. So you um you go up to the mansion door and uh you knock on on the door and immediately like basically a second after your after your knock um 
the door opens and you see a gentleman with a pencil thin mustache. He's dressed in a butler's uniform and he bows before you and he says, the other special agents, I presume. His hair is black and slicked back. Uh, yeah, you presume correctly. Um, where might the others be? Your friends are awaiting you in the foyer. And he uh, kind of gestures with his arm towards um, a room that's that's off from where this grand, like, uh, <coughs> where this grand, like, stairwell area is. Because there's basically two huge stair sets that are symmetrical to each other, like as soon as you walk into the door, and he's pointing off to your left. Mm. And it looks like there might be some sort of, like, a sitting room in there. Alright, I head that way. And you look in, and Igma is currently... He's got a he's got a wet stone out, and he's uh, sharpening up his tomahawks, and Boris is wandering around and he's just poking the various accoutrements that are decorating the room and Tom just has the most exasperated look on his face um, you assume that they've probably been waiting here for a while alright oh well I can see I missed all the action huh howdy folk action uh. <laughs> it's been truly exhilarating so what does this room uh, look like? Should I do a per- perception check in here? Um, so when you go in, the the room has... Uh, directly to your left are a bunch of large windows, but the the type that that stick out of the house a little ways. And so they've got a little sitting area um, right... Uh, they've got like a little sitting area underneath it. And there's a bunch of couches that are kind of arranged in sort of a circular manner um, towards the center of the room. And there's like a an ornate oaken coffee table that's uh, in the center of all of these couches and chairs and things. And there's just all sorts of taxidermied heads to um, various animals. Like you see a bunch of uh, pronghorns. Um, on the walls, nice. there's a bearskin rug under the uh, under the coffee table, and it's just very, very wildlife chic, if you will. All right, I, I always wanted to see one of these bearskin rugs, and um, I kind of kneel down and kind of just pet the fur of it and kind of inspect it a little bit, look inside the mouth. You know it's dead, so, right? Well, I wouldn't be doing this to a live one. <laughs> I pull out my cigar case and I open it up and then I realize there's only one cigar left. So then I close it and put it back in my pocket and my f- expression of exasperation grows even worse. <laughs> Why don't you um, roll me a perception check, Tom? Perception. 17. So you look over and after you close your cigar box, you see that there is a wooden box sitting on one of these end tables next to a next to a couch that's kitty corner from where you're sitting currently and if you were to take your best guess as to what was inside of it you would think maybe some sort of tobacco product I don't even hesitate 
Oh, my lord. <laughs> so you immediately go and grab one out and light it up? Oh, well, how, what, what's inside? What do I find? Several of them? You find... You find them. <laughs> the box is trapped. You die. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in about 40 years after I get cancer. <laughs> There's a glass window in the top of the box and inside are a bunch of very large, thick, hand-rolled cigars that uh, appear to be of fairly high quality. Okay. And you would guess that there's somewhere between 20 and 30 of them in there. I refill my case and put it back in my pocket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're shameless. That's what you are. Shameless. So as you're refilling your, um, your cigar box, are you going to light one of those up too? Uh, yeah. An extra one. So I still have a full container. <laughs> <laughs> so you pull out your cigar cutter and you cut off one end of it and you're using a match to try and get it going. And all of a sudden, the door to the room swings open, and you see a, a large, hunched-over gentleman. He's wearing a brown hat with a turquoise stone set in the band of it. His clothes are colorful. Um, his, his vest is a deep, deep red. It looks like it might be made of satin or some other more expensive material and that goes with the with the uh with the bolo tie that also has turquoise set into um the silver sort of clasp of it and he's also got a large silver belt buckle with prancing prong horns on it and i am jealous of this man's clothes And you can see in his holster is an ivory-handled pistol. And he immediately looks over at you, Tom, and he says, Well, by all means, help yourself there, sir. (laughs) Okay, so Igmet sees him and immediately takes off his hat and, like, fidgets because he knows just the weight that this man carries around the area. I fold my arms because I remember what I'm wearing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I reach up to take off my hat and then again remember that I'm not wearing one. <laughs> and then I just do the kind of smooth like hands through the hair sort of thing. <laughs> Why don't you make me a sleight of hand? <laughs> All right. oh, okay, 16 plus uh, 3. Alright, 19. It... it- it was very smooth, as a matter of fact. You, uh, every, nobody else is aware of your weird uh, obsession with tipping your hat and taking off your hat in front of people. Under my breath, I'm like, all right. <laughs> Elmer, I presume? Yes, sir. Mr. Fillmore. Now y'all have me at a bit of a disadvantage. May I have your names, please, sirs? Well, I'm Special Agent Fox Mulder of the FIA. Thomas DeWeese. He's also a special agent. I'm Igmet. I'm sure you've seen me around town. Yes, sir. I do I do believe that I have seen you about town before. You're that helpful uh, half-breed, are you not? Uh, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's me. Well, I appreciate a man that can 
get over the convictions of his heritage, if you understand me correctly, sir. Well, I uh, I kind of play with my collar and, and just bite my tongue um, and nod my head. Now, I expect you'd like to know about Ingrid and her, well, let's just say indiscretions. I uh, start walking around the perimeter of the room, just looking at all the books I've already looked at a hundred times while we were waiting for him. And then I say, we would like to offer our condolences. But I'm afraid we're going to have to ask a lot of possibly uncomfortable questions. This may take a while. Perhaps you should have a seat. He uh, walks over to his cigar box and he grabs one out and he uh, opens up the drawer and pulls out a fine, large silver lighter that he uh, clicks a couple of times to get it going. And he uh, puffs on the cigar a few times and then he takes a seat in the on the couch right next to it and he says all right sirs you have my full and undivided attention and make him wait for me as i continue my walk around the room and finally sit down on the couch tell me about the incident with your wife you were down in the mines i understand well yes we had well the boys had found something a bit disconcerting but it would appear that it is no more dangerous than the common house fly. What? Some sort of statue made out of a blackened stone, sir. Almost as though it's a glass. You found this in the mines? We did, sir. The boys had been... They had been trying to find new veins of mithril. You see... The original mine is starting to run dry and we're getting quite deep. And the deeper you go, the more dangerous it becomes. I do not know how familiar you are with mining, sir, but we had decided that it would behoove us to start searching for veins elsewhere. And after an explosion, we were left in a large cavernous area and down one of the down one of the down shafts we found this altar this this statue this weird spider creature do you have it here now no sir it is attached to the ground as though it was grown what is its size bigger than any man i ever seen <clears throat> i jump in um so uh these disconcerting things that you found in the mine um it was only a statue? There was nothing else? Nothing, uh, living? No, sir, there was nothing living. Well, you'd have to see the altar for yourself, but I do believe that a better use of your time would be to go and perhaps try and intimidate some information out of them rock guts. Can I do, I don't know, like in a religion check or something? Yeah, absolutely. Holy shit. Uh... 24. Okay, so when he starts describing an altar made out of a black glass, you you ask him if uh, if the spider had the torso of, of an elven woman, and he nods at you like, how could you possibly know that? And 
You've read in in some of your books back in uh, back in seminary school that that before the Imperium was a thing, there were these elves that lived underground and they worshipped a god named or a goddess named Lolth, L O L T H, known as the Spider Queen. You say T H or P H? T H. Okay. T as in Tom. T H as in Tom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what I'm getting at, Elmore, is um, so you know nothing about a, a strange black-haired creature that um, is able to talk and sort of lives in the caves outside of your town. You, you mean the nuisance? Yeah, for lack of a better term. Well. So we are all aware of that vile creature. It is friendly, but also dangerous. But I do not believe that this is what's causing our issue, sir. Dangerous how? Well, he used to get on with one of my smiths. He works over near the stable. Well, before we drove the nuisance out, it, well, it, it, it quilled him like some sort of evil maniacal porcupine. Damn near mangled our blacksmith's hands to the point where he cannot work, sir. Where did he come from? Sir, if you could give me the answer to where that nuisance came from, I would be much obliged. When did he first arrive in your town? Showed up one day. Came from the south, walked straight up the thoroughfare, started trying to ingratiate himself on many folk. And as you can probably imagine, they were quite uncomfortable, sir. Have you had any encounters with him in down in the uh, canyon, not far from here? You or your people? You mean that box canyon with the river in it? That's the one. No, sir, is that where the nuisance has taken up residence? Yes, that's where he's living now. All right, I'll gather up a posse and send him over there. He'll be dealt with. Post-haste. Dealt, wait, dealt with how? Well, I've been searching for him ever since he, ever since he wrecked my blacksmith's hands, sir. We need to bring him um, to justice. Mr. Fillmore, there, there might be the more pressing matter of, uh, kind of have a, a quarantine situation going on here with everybody you know, getting sick and then murdering people. How about you keep your boys here? My partner brings up an interesting point. You've had this locked down to a schedule. Every three days, somebody loses their mind. Why have you not put people in quarantine so that no one else gets hurt? Sir, do you know why it is that people choose to live a hard life out here? Why is that? they don't got no one telling them to be in no quarantine. They don't got no one telling them that they gotta go and do something that another man thinks is best. A woman listens to her husband, her husband listens to Ernie, and that is it, sir. Surely you could convince them it's for their best interest. I'm not insinuating that you should force people into quarantine, but this is your town. And if you would like it to remain a town, I suggest that you do something. 
because the general vibe that I've been getting, particularly from the banker, is that people are ready to turn tail and leave. Why don't you make me a persuasion check, please? <laughs> so I'm not the most personable type of a person. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I rolled a nat one. So I will take your advice under consideration. But for now, you are my contingency plan. So perhaps if if we cannot get this in, contained within the next day or so, I will reconsider. But for now, I would prefer not to, sir. If I lean back and blow a puff of smoke while I'm scowling at him. <laughs> okay. He can see that you're frustrated, but he also doesn't seem to be budging on his position. Uh, Mr. Fillmore, you mentioned the, the rock guts. And I, I've heard stories from around town that um, right before these incidents started, uh, they mounted up a posse and um, came to talk to you guys at the mine and um, had some pretty harsh words for you. Could you tell me exactly what those words were? Yes, sir. Those filthy creatures rode up on me. Uh, no offense. And he kind of looks over at you, Imgut, uh, or Igmut, and uh, he, like, nods his head as though somehow that makes it okay. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and he says, uh, and they had the audacity to tell me that if we kept digging there, bad things were going to happen. And I am not one for threats, good sir. So I told them where they could stick it. Well, uh, were they specific as to what these, uh, bad things were? I assume it's whatever curse their shamans have put upon us. What did they say about the burial grounds? They said that this is some sort of an ancient burial ground that they had been protecting since before written memory had existed in this tribe. As though orcs have written language, sophistication. He kind of spits on the ground. And then he goes, no offense, good sir. And nods at Igmet again. I kind of flinch. Uh, But uh, just keep looking at the floor. So do you have any specifics on these uh, bad things that don't involve just uh, insinuations on their part? I had my men pull out their scatter guns. And I encouraged them to leave my property. The conversation was not long. I want to roll an insight check on uh, on everything he told us about the, the rock guts. Okay. Uh, 14 plus 4, 18. You think that he is holding something back. You don't necessarily think that he's lying, but you definitely think that there's something that he's not telling you. Mr. Fillmore, is there anything that you're not telling me about this situation? Anything at all? Because the thing is, is that it's it's one thing, you know, I'm sure from your perspective that this town is in danger with this stuff. But uh, in all honesty, I think you're in danger from all this stuff too. Eventually, it's going to come back to you. So if there's any single thing you're keeping from us, you need to tell us now. Make me a persuasion check, please. Uh, 15 plus 7. He uh, 
looks down at the ground and he uh, kind of looks back up at you guys and he says, Now listen, this is not information that many are privy to, but have y'all happened to meet Pete Portnoy, the deputy? Yeah. Well, his sister, Rebecca, well, let's just say we've been doing extracurricular activities when my wife thinks that I'm at the mines. And, well, she made a scene not two days before Ingrid, well, before Ingrid killed Everett, Evan, and Evelyn. What was uh, Pete's sister's name again? Uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, okay. Rebecca Portnoy. Which, if you guys also remember, their dad is the owner of the gun shop. Yep. Patrick Portnoy. Not that that matters right now, but just to kind of drive home the point. Mr. Fillmore needs to get himself checked out. He's a busy man. (laughs) Uh, Can you detail what happened in this uh, scene Rebecca Portnoy made? Well, she was just screaming that... I was taking advantage of her, that that I never had any intention of leaving Ingrid, which if I'm being completely honest, I didn't until now, but I think that it paints Ingrid in a light that is unfair, because I do not think that she did this to our children of her own volition. Do you think it could have been anything that uh, Rebecca did? To cause any of this. You'd have to go and ask Rebecca, but I don't think that she is inclined to be putting curses on people. She's a sweet girl. Helps her father. Uh, Was anybody else uh, of your staff here when um, Ingrid had that episode? Uh, He uh, says, Why, yes, sir. My manservant, Rodriguez. We'll be wanting to speak with your manservant, but first, could you give us a quick a quick overview of your opinion and your relationship with the Godfried family? I heard there has been some bad blood between you two. Now, sir, one thing you must understand about the elves, they have little patience or trust for anything that we attempt towards those mountains. You have to understand that the Gottfrieds Them adopting that boy is not adoption to these elves. It is kidnapping. And while we have gone quite a spell without any sort of incident, there is always an elf out watching this town, keeping an eye. Before that, they left us alone. Where would this elf uh, be located if he's always watching the town? Well, if you can find him, he'll be somewhere towards the perimeter. I think that sometimes they make themselves known on purpose, because for the most part, I cannot find them when I am searching. You said the Godfreeds adopted an elf. Yes, sir. Jethro was traveling and found a young boy who was hiding near a massacre. Plenty elves had been killed by would appear to be orcs, rather than trying to parlay with the caravan. Jethro instead decided 
that he would take the boy in. Something about his own children moving along to the Imperium or somewhat not. How old was this boy at the time? Twelve, give or take. Does he know about the statue you found down in the caves? Sir, that is not information that I have made available to anyone but my most loyal lieutenants. Not even Deputy Portnoy was privy. Mr. Fillmore, this is an investigation that concerns the entire town. This may not be the best time to withhold information from anyone. Now you listen here, sir. While I do appreciate that a man has the right to go his own way, I built this town. Without me, there is no town. No one to buy drinks. No one to create things. There is no money flowing. So if I decide that some information is not meant for other folk, that is how it is going to stay, sir. Then I'm afraid that with your decisions, you may not have much of a town in the end after all. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Mr. Fillmore, we ain't trying to upset you none. We're just, you know, trying to figure things out. And they sent these fellas out from the Imperium, and we just want the best for everyone. How about, would you let us uh, see the mines and the spider lady? Sirs, if that is what you desire, you may stop there. Thank you. Here's what you should do. You're going to head northeast for half a day's ride, maybe. When you get to the base of the mountain, you're going to find a camp. You're going to look for a man by the name of Travis Kelsey. He's the foreman there. You tell him that I gave you permission to go see the lady and he'll take you down there. Thank you kindly. We really appreciate it. He tips his hat uh, towards you and uh, takes another long draw off his cigar. Yeah, I, I've already kind of started to walk out of the room at this point. At what point could we speak to your manservant? If he is not busy, you can feel free to try him now. I need to make a stop at the general store first. I stand up and I grab a cigar on my way out. <laughs> he kind of he chuckles at you and he says, Well, you make sure that you go see Lucius now. Uh, tell him that I said to give you a discount. The family discount. So uh, while that little last bit was going on, I'm kind of walking around the main room. Um, is there anything made of mithril in this house? Yeah, it, um, there are a couple of uh, of statues of various animals that have been uh, like very like the same types of animals that you see that you saw mounted in that room that you guys were in as well. So like, there's a pronghorn made out of mithril. There's a, a grizzly bear that's made out of mithril. Just kind of sitting upon the tables and stuff. While I'm looking at the the statue, I, I kind of glance down and notice like the sort of um, difference in in the feel of the way my um, my you know spell gun cartridges are kind of um, I, I guess the feeling that comes off of them as I'm like near the statue and, and everything. And I've always known you know just through our you know stuff of the Imperium and all that, that uh, it absorbs magic, but something just made it like come to the forefront of my mind. It just clicks. 
and all of a sudden my eyes widen and I bolt out the front door pretty quickly towards the center of town. All right, well, you guys just saw by far your craziest and most eccentric member of the party uh, bolt out of this mansion heading towards somewhere. Uh, Igmet, Tom, what are you guys doing? Nothing. I, I'm, I'm just used to folk. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, nervously tug on Boris's shirt and um, follow Falk out of the out of the room. Yeah, you you go out on out of the house, and you can see Falk is tearing down the path at a full sprint. Um, but your long legs could easily catch up to him if you wanted. Oh yeah, I, I run I run after him, um, for sure. Boris uh, still isn't really used to uh, used to these cowboy boots, and so he's like. <laughs> his like ankles are kind of kind of shooting out to the sides every once in a while with his steps, and he sir sir wait wait up sir like <laughs> just yelling behind you guys, um, and he's just bringing up the rear. When Igrit catches up to me, um, as I'm running, I'm sort of out of breath as I say, but uh, I gotta get to back to the telegraph place, Mithril. It, it contains you know magic fields and, and stuff like. All those mines are probably holding in something big, and the, all these, uh, all of them digging it out is probably going to make all that shit come out. Well, Falk, I probably could have explained that a lot smoother. <laughs> you, you can't stop him from mining. That's how he's made his fortune, and the Imperium needs it. <laughs> well, we either stop him from mining or stop whatever's in there from coming out. But uh, I, I've got to get any information I can on on these mines and. Uh, Maybe anything like this has happened before. Alrighty, well, going up to the telegraph office. Um. All right, so you um you go and you run past the the jail and get to the small shack that makes up the telegraph office, and you go you run back in, and uh, the lady at the desk looks at you and she goes, "I still don't know nothing about sports betting, sir." <laughs> Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I need to get a telegraph quickly back to the FIA uh, headquarters in in Farport. Um, it, it needs to say uh, it needs to be addressed to uh, Humpy Fuckledon. And, uh, he's the custodian of records. Records there. Is that canon? That <laughs> is canon. <laughs> He, wait, wait. His name is Humpy? That's right, Humpy Fuckledon, and uh, he's a close friend of mine. He's also the custodian of records, and I need to ask him if there's been any other incidences at any of the other mithril mines around the Imperium. Of uh, So you remember major... that you're the only person in the world that calls him Humpy, and everybody else knows him as Frank. <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry, uh, Frank fuckled on. Um, you know, just, if you've already wrote Humpy, just send it, you know, the, um, <laughs> they'll figure it out. And I mean, how many fuckled could there be at the, at the FIA? Um. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, all right, that'll, that'll be three silver. Yeah, and I, I quickly hand it to her. I hand her four. Her eyes get kind of wide, and she goes, "Yes, sir!" and immediately uh, begins tapping out um, a message on the uh, button that's in front of her. 
have uh, the other guys caught up to me by now? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, Tom is just kind of casually walking um, with Igmet and Boris outside of the telegraph office unless he wants to go somewhere else. It's starting to be late in the afternoon. It's getting close to dinner right now. You'd say it's maybe 4.30, 5 o'clock. I'm pretty set on heading to the general store as soon as I can, particularly if it's going to close. Yeah, you can head over there right now if you'd like. <clears throat> All right. Which one are you going to, Tom? The same one I went to. Okay, Okay. gotcha. It's it's going to take some time to hear back from, from Humpy about the, the, the mithril mines. So um, I say we turn in early and... and uh, Get going very early in the morning towards the the mines there. You kind of look around, and Igmet and Boris both nod at you, but you can see that Tom is currently ca- uh, crossing the town square next to the well and headed towards the uh, towards the general store that you have not been to yet, Falk. All right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'll let him go. <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to the uh, to the what is it? The crossing house. Yeah, crossing house. Are you going with Amigmit? Yeah. Um, let's go get us some vittles, eh? <laughs> yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. So you walk into you walk into this general store, and again, it's immaculate. Everything it has been dusted recently. There's no dirt on the floor. Everything is well organized and put on shelves and it's easy to find. Um, and there's a thin man standing behind the counter. He looks sort of like uh, Elmer now that you've met him, but uh, a much younger, much thinner version. Um, and he uh, looks up at you and he goes, Well, ha. I walk in with a frown on my face and I just slap 15 gold coins down on the counter and I say, you do it this time. And I'd like it in black. What? I have no idea what he's talking about. What? (laughs) (laughs) I think I do, but I'm going to play dumb anyway. You heard me. Get me something to wear. Why did you even let me walk out the door like this? So embarrassed. Surely you've got better fashion sense than I have. Just get me something nice. I don't care. I'm used to black. Here. And I slap another five more gold coins down the counter. So he, um, he goes into the back and he says, Um, well, I I, I ordered this for Mr. Breakfast, so perhaps you would like it? Um, and he slaps a, a high white collared shirt um black everything else a black duster and a short um like the top of it is short but the brim is very wide on this black hat again with a black um a black band going around it with a small silver buckle did you just give him a tombstone hat (sighs) i'm sorry (laughs) <laughs> There's a razor blade around the edge. <laughs> as soon as I see just, it, everything in my demeanor just relaxes and I heave a sigh of relief and I just smile and I say, that'll do nicely, thank you. All right, and he puts, he grabs all of the gold and he looks like he's going to say something else to you and then he just shakes his head and goes back to... Uh, <laughs> goes back to counting down his drawer 
Alright. Once we're done here, I'm gonna head back to the the tavern with the boys. Okay. So Igma Falk, when you guys walk into the crossing house, the um the place is much cleaner than it was this morning. It looks as though um a lot of work had been done to put this kind of back into um into shape. And you can see that Andrea uh Jorgensen is currently behind the counter. Um she's the middle daughter. Um the Rubenesque one. She's she's got a new dress on. This one's blue with polka dots, but it's kind of faded. So some mm. of the polka dots and some of the blue it just kind of melds together and in just like whitest whitish splotches. And uh she goes, You ready for your bath yet? And she's looking at uh at you, Igma. Bath? I didn't ask for no bath. You didn't? Did I? Well then And she kinda like shakes her head a little bit and uh says just just, just grab what you need and I'll I'll collect from you in a second. Um I'm gonna go and she kind of starts up the stairs kind of quickly. Um, I, I yelled to her before she gets up to the top of the stairs. Uh, I'll take it if it's ready. She looks at you and goes, yeah, um, okay. And goes up there and uh, you can hear footsteps above you. Because as you remember, the, the rooms and the bath and stuff are all up on the second floor. All right. And I uh, head up there. Okay. Igmit, what are you doing? Um, I go up to the counter and, uh, is someone there? No, um, if you recall, she just told you to grab whatever you oh. wanted and uh, <laughs> she'd you? settle up oh, with you in a minute. Oh. What are you, a ghost hunter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so I go behind the counter and start looking for, for food. Um, and I call Boris over and uh, I find some steak she's cooked, and I'm like, we're eating fine tonight, boys. And I start putting them on the counter. Um, that's all. I'm Some like. of the miners that are drinking at the counter, they uh, they look at you for a second, and um, one of them goes, grab, "Grab me a bottle of that whiskey, eh?" Sure. And I throw him a bottle. Oh wow. Okay. He um. He bobbles it a couple of times, and it looks as though it's going to go down, but then he grasps, grasps all of his fingers around it, and he pops off the cork and pours uh, a shot for each of his friends as well, and then he kind of slides it across the bar back to you, and he hiccups, and he goes, thanks! And um, you kind of look around, and it looks as though they went and grabbed some new tables out from somewhere else and replace the ones that had been broken in the fight. Um, but it isn't that that brings you pause. It's the man in black with a guitar slung around his shoulders, sitting on top of the raised dais, slowly picking and singing a song. So I look over at him and my eyes get wide. I grab a steak and I walk over to him and I offer it to him. He looks up at you, um, still picking at his guitar, and still, um, still singing his song. And his eyes, his eyes seem to be mostly pupil, um, just deep, dark pools of black, with just a tiny slit of brown around them. 
And he just nods his head and continues singing. All right. Um, what a spooky dude. I wonder if he can play any deep, uh, deep pupil. (laughs) 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 So, Falk, you get upstairs and Andrea goes and she, like, you can see that she's opening up all of the door. Like, she's got a huge ring of keys in her hand and she's opening up a door and shoving it open and like peering in and then just making a deep sigh and then moving on to the next door. And she's basically just going down the, uh, down these hallways and, and peering in these doors. And when you get to the top of the stairs, she kind of jumps for a second and looks back at you and goes, Oh, you gave me a fright. Yeah. Uh, what's up with, What's going on in those rooms that had you so uh, startled? I I could have swore that your friend just just asked me to run him a bath maybe 15 minutes ago and walked out the front door and then came in all confused. I I just, I don't know, this is for peace of mind. Wait, there was an orc in here? A half orc, yeah. That looked like my friend. Oh shit! Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound intolerant or nothing, but yeah. Uh, I uh, could you open up all these doors, and I, I pull out my gun and uh, have it at the ready. Yeah, she goes through and uh, she starts opening up the rest of the doors, and um, when you guys get to the last one at the end of the hallway, you go ahead and make me a perception check, Falk. Seven plus one, eight. You can hear the sounds of music going on downstairs. You can hear Andrea breathing heavily right next to you. Um, And she pushes the key into the lock and she turns it and she pushes it open quickly and kind of like presses her body um, up against the wall so that you can have a clear line of sight at, at whatever might be in the room. And... Inside of this room is a large copper bathtub with a fire that's currently uh, burning underneath it. And it's just a long room that's seven feet wide and maybe 15 feet long. And there's a window on the back wall of it. And you can see crawling out the window is a green-skinned, large, orcish-looking fellow. For more LCP D&D, you can follow us by searching for LCP D&D on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The podcast is also available by searching for LCP D&D on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, and Spotify. You can follow Chris Riley, aka Falk Smolder, on Twitter, at ChrisRileyLCP. You can follow me, Brian Bridges, aka Tom DeWeese, on Twitter, at ManlyBrian, and on Instagram, Brian underscore Bridges. You can follow Tim DeMuse, aka our beloved GM, on Twitter, at Ida Grab Your Gun, and you can follow Wesley Sullivan, aka Igmet Yazi, on Twitter at Wide Wide Wes. Thanks for joining us on our adventure. 
We'll see you on the next episode. Hell, <coughs> hell, you can try and hell, you can try and <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs>